minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We have a live studio audience today, and we're going to talk about why in a moment. But first, let's talk about you. What negative, outdated stories do you tell yourself about who you are? How do those stories block your happiness, peace, and freedom? Today on the podcast, we're joined by our good friend, Ian Morgan Cron. He's the author of this new book. I'll hold it up for YouTube here. It's called The Story of You. Together, we're going to rethink. We're going to help you rethink the stale stories you tell yourself so that you can let go of your past or even your present Mm -hmm. identity. We're talking about identity clutter today. Mm. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Ryan, Ian, and I are going to examine your inner strengths and weaknesses. We'll also discuss the nine personality types of the Enneagram. Mm. There might be a reason we have nine people in the studio today. Mm. (laughs) Nine different people. One might say we have the most diverse team in podcasting. Yes, you have the entire, the panoply, the the complete bouquet of human humanity is in the room. <laughs> That's right. You can check that out this Thursday, patreon.com slash the minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because say it with me. Advertisements, advertisements suck. suck. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, thank you so much for being here today. It is Awesome oh. to be in Los Angeles. Great to have you, man. You're like one of my favorite guests. Uh, many, this is our third podcast we've done together now. Yes. And the first um, one for the minimalist podcast, though. Yeah, the first one for the minimalist. Uh, but yeah, we had you at a live event. We did your podcast. But um, yeah, man, uh, it's so easy to talk to you. So yeah, thanks for being here. It's great. I <laughs> couldn't be happier. We're going to dive into your book, the story of you. We're also going to really dissect the personalities of all nine people in here. See who we vote off the island today. We'll do that on the maximum. But first, this is a listener-driven show. Our first question today is from Facebook. Inge has a question for us. How do you start rewriting your story when you feel overwhelmed and insecure about who you are and who you want to be? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, you have to look at the story you find yourself in now, right? The story that you have occupied probably since childhood, because all of us in childhood craft a narrative to make sense of who we are, uh, to make sense of how we think the world works, and to create a coherent sense of self, right? Uh, Mm. And what's happening to you, trauma, all the experiences, right? And we craft this narrative, and then we, unfortunately, we drag it into adulthood with us Mm. without ever stopping to interrogate it and say, is that the story I really want to live, or is that an arcane script that I'm reading off of and isn't really serving me anymore like it did in childhood? Yeah, and so that's the thing. It can serve you for a while, but just because a story or a narrative served you at some point, clinging to that is often disempowering, right? Oh my gosh. Like I, you know, this is born out of personal experience, you know, as a therapist, but also just as a human being. Like I grew up in a crazy, well, we've had this conversation, yeah. right? We, we've had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like I grew up in a crazy alcoholic, drug addicted family. Mm. I mean, just crazy ass stuff, right? Mm. Always 
you know, chaos, uh, ambulances, police cars, broken furniture, people falling down the stairs into Christmas. Are you, are you wildly depressed right now? <laughs> it sounds it, like a Fast and Furious film. Yeah, exactly. It bring it's up a some Bruce memories. Lee film, except only psychological. <laughs> um, and you can imagine the story that I crafted Mm. to make sense of the world as a little person. Mm. So it was like, oh, well, I must be to blame for all this. Yeah. Or I'm a pest, or I'm so different than all my other friends that have these wonderful, beautiful, perfect homes. I mean, the list could go on, right? Mm. There's something wrong with me. There's something missing. I wish my father can't love me because I'm unlovable. Now, Mm. that's just... right. So... I formed that story and it actually did help me survive because it made sense of what was happening. But I dragged that into adulthood Mm. and that story no longer served me. At that point, it became a very self-defeating, painful, self-sabotaging narrative that actually nearly killed me. And what did Mm. it do to you specifically? How did it manifest? Well, it led very easily into a life of drug addiction and alcoholism. Right. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. just to anesthetize the pain, you know, and, and I could give you a long host list of, you know, probably other reasons, right? Even identifying with my dad, right? Like mm-hmm. to me, like in a way, in a weird kind of twisted way, it was like a point of connection with him yeah. that I shared that experience, you know, after his death. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is, is that I became a, a prisoner of a story I didn't know I was in. Until I had a sponsor, I was in my late 20s, and one day, he was a Jungian analyst, an Episcopal priest, really spiritual, wonderful dude, and he said to me one time, do you ever wonder if you're living in the wrong story? Mm. And you know those kinds of questions that like you go, whoa, like back on your heels? Mm. And I was like, I hope so. Mm. You know what I mean? And he says, well, you know, you don't have to stay in it. Mm. And so mm. to answer Inge's question Which head on, <laughs> how do you start rewriting the story? And so maybe actually I think you did answer it is understanding that yes. you don't have to be in right. this story anymore. Yes. Yeah. So we begin by doing what the author, you, Mo Willems, y'all know Mo Willems, the, the, the mm. author, he says a great quote. He says, if you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave. Yeah. So it. that's kind of like got to figure out what the story is. So I, I actually use an acronym, which I don't like acronyms because they're kind of platitudinal, mm-hmm. but being in a 12-step program, I also know they can kind of save your ass sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? So first thing is just to see the story. Then you got to own the story, right? That's O. And uh, the owning part is like, what has this story done to my life? Mm-hmm. What has it cost me? What has it cost others that I've been living in this false taken for granted story my whole life then the next one is to just awaken i love awakening you know yeah. it's like just realizing okay well what triggers me into this story right mm-hmm. what launches the story day after day day after day and then finally is the rewrite portion right which is how do i want to create a story that would accommodate my authentic self that would align with my values mm-hmm that would be reflective of the person my 80-year-old self would be proud of. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's so it's sore. <laughs> S-O-A-R, right? I love it. Right. It's That's like, great. But, you know, you got to hang a hat I like acronyms. Yeah, okay, there you go. Oh, man, the, you know, the only thing I might add to that is, uh, you know, the whole act as if thing, right? Mm. It's kind of overused, and I think it's used wrong in a lot of ways. However, I know when I was changing my story, it was waking up, and asking myself, what would a sober Ryan do? Yes. 
what would a minimalist Ryan do? What mm-hmm. would a healthy Ryan do? And, you know, I acted as if until eventually you form a new story. Yes. You, be, you become a different person. You have different behaviors. But there is a little bit of uh, maybe it's not fake until you make it because it was very genuine actions. Mm-hmm. But but act as if I think for me really helped change my story. Absolutely. It's like when you go to the fridge and you're used to eating like me, like a Sara Lee orange cake or something. Mm. Not, I never do that. <laughs> but you ask yourself instead, what would a healthy person eat right now? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's to to cast yourself as a new as a new role oh, in yeah. the story. Yeah. Right? Not the victim, not the martyr, right? Because mm-hmm. you know how many of us go through life casting we self-casted roles that really aren't mm. the, the people you want to be. Yeah. yeah, and the victim thing is fascinating because we often blame others for whatever situation we've put ourselves in. And mm. we've put ourselves in that, that that situation often because of these stories that we've not only told ourselves, we've constructed them and we've clung to them yes. well after their sort of expiration date. Yes. And, you know, this is really important because what's easy to do is you go through the process of identifying the story you actually want to live in. It's really easy to shame yourself for having adopted it, which is mm. the you have to do this with what I love Pema Children. She has this great line. She calls it unconditional self-friendship. Mm. To do it with like real self-compassion and say, you know what? This is how I made sense of the world. And actually I need to thank that old story as negative as it might be mm. and say goodbye. I think that's part of the journey of rewriting. It's like thanking the old story for what it, how it helped us mm-hmm. and then saying, and then parting ways. Yeah. No, that that's huge for me. Like I just, you know, start to get a little resentment when I think about my crazy childhood and mm-hmm. things I've done. But I realized like, man, I had all those things had to happen for me to be right here. And yes. I really like myself. So yeah, accepting that story is, uh, yeah, that's huge. Let's move on to our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Podcast, John, it looks like we have a question here from Jonathan in Woodstock, Georgia. I lost my wife and best friend of 20 years uh, around Christmas time to cancer and literally overnight, uh, lost my identity of husband, then spent the, the last year really taking care of my three girls and decided to step away from work. So I lost my work identity, which I've had for 25 years. Speak to what to do when you've lost major identities as a man when it comes to like, you're, I'm no longer a husband, but also I'm not a worker and haven't been for the last year. How do you begin to reshape or step back into those identities when you walked away from them? So Ian, I don't even know where to start with Jonathan's question other than to say, man, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. Like what a, what a difficult time that you're going through. And it's true that we get our identities tied up in being a husband or being a worker or in fact, it's the first thing we ask someone when we meet them. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And then we recite what's on our business card as if that's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And so where does, Jonathan even start. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of a, as I was listening to it, the first thing that came to mind is, is that 
I don't think those are identities as much as they are socially assigned roles. Mm. And a role and an identity are two different things. Let's talk about that. Well, you, I have an identity as a husband, as a father, uh, as a therapist, uh, as uh, an aspiring Buddhist. As you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I can just go on and on and on about a roles that I've either adopted or society has assigned to me or my family assigned to me. Like in my family, you know, I you could say well, some people in families play the role of the clown. Other, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we have roles. Mm. And roles are actually easier to, to work with, right? And to redefine. You could say, I'm a stay-at-home dad. That's a role that's different than I'm a guy who works out in the world, right? Right. It's like you can play with roles, but identity is something very different. I think it has to do with your core truth, the core of your person. And I think part of the journey towards psychological and spiritual health, and I I interplay those two terms a lot, Mm -hmm. is really to recover your own personal wholeness and, you know, and, 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 or to not recover it, but to recover your contact Mm. with the, your already existing beauty and wholeness that's completely separate from your roles. Right. Mm. And that's why people tend to misidentify who they are with roles because they haven't done the work of saying, who am I apart from those roles? I am a beautiful, whole a human being that is in the journey toward awakening more and more to that core truth about who I am. And so for our friend here, I'd say, you know, just understand that those are not who you are. Those are roles. And that's really good news. Mm, It's really good news. And also in trauma, we have an opportunity, depending on the severity of trauma and how we, how much resilience we have, we have the opportunity to awaken it's painful, but we can awaken to the truth and of the beauty of what we are and who we are. Mm. Yeah, that is beautiful. So do you think a good place for Jonathan to start would be with something like the Enneagram? Because that, to me, it's, it's uh, well, it helps you identify kind of these core tenets of uh, right. wh- where, where you lean towards with preferences and what fulfills you. Because like when I hear him say husband, father, and worker, what I hear is someone who likes to contribute Mm-hmm. And, you know, he could kind of find a common theme with these things like contribution and be like, oh, that's really, you know, kind of who I am as a person. But maybe something like the Enneagram could help him even get more clear on yes. who he is as a person. It could totally do that. Except that, just remember, the Enneagram doesn't tell you who you are. It's not, it doesn't label an identity mm-hmm. as much as it is talking to you about your personality, mm-hmm. which is different from identity. Okay, Your, your personality is really... I like to say that, you know, a very basic sort of winsome way of defining personality would be how you show up for life. That's Mm. it. Okay. How you predictably and habitually act, think, and feel on a moment-to-moment basis every day, Mm -hmm. right? And that's how people know you Mm -hmm. and experience you, and it's how you experience yourself, right? Yeah. So it's a great data point for someone like our friend who just called in, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's like one piece of information that you could bake into your overall spiritual journey of mm-hmm. figuring out who you are, but your personality is not all of who you are. It's just part of who you are. Uh, and sometimes it. it distracts you from who you really are. Mm. Expand on that. Well, I mean, you're a three on the Enneagram. Right. You're a doer, uh-huh. right? You're called the performer or the achiever. Uh-huh. You're a guy who just crushes it in life. I just watched you in the midst of a crisis Take a very assertive stance while the two withdrawing types here <laughs> are like hanging around. 
Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you were like, down to business, man. For the folks listening at home, we were doing a Patreon live stream at the beginning of this. And uh, for whatever reason, it, one of the microphones was not picking up. And uh, so there was a, you know, a technical difficulty. And, and so I'm much more tightly wound than you or Ryan. Yeah, no, Ryan's tightly wound in a different way. Mm-hmm. But, but I would say that you, you are very task-focused. Let's get this right. Let's get it done right now. Uh-huh. Uh, you, if you were not very self-aware three, you would be like, how does this reflect on me that this stuff is going south right now? Yeah. I don't like the fact that I'm looking bad in this moment. You, you know I, I see that creeping up, though, because it's just like... Well, hey, I want things to be right and smooth, and when they're not, it definitely reflects on me in, right. in some way. Right. As if that matters at all. Right. I can step back and realize, well, that doesn't actually matter. That's self-awareness. And so what is the, uh, what is the role of self-awareness in personality and in identity. Well, you've all met, we've all met people who don't have much self-awareness at a cocktail party, haven't we? <laughs> and you're like... Yeah, we call them extroverts. <laughs> Sometimes, but you know what I mean? It's like, so maybe I would define, it's a very complicated, I could give a long-winded answer, but here's a short one. It's the capacity to monitor and self-regulate the way that you act, think, and feel in the moment and noticing how does who I am affect the person that I'm with right now? Mm. How are they responding? And I'm able to kind of, you know, so you're an eight on the Enneagram, right? And he's pointing at Danny, Danny Danny. unknown. All right. So eights are called the challengers. You are very assertive, very blunt, sometimes aggressive and domineering, right? Some people you've, have you ever had someone say to you, are you, what are you mad about? And you're like, I'm not mad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about if someone if someone has ever said to you, you're kind of intimidating. Yeah. Okay. So in the moment, if you have self-awareness, you're with somebody and you can actually pick up on the cues. This person is being overwhelmed by me right now. And you just holster your guns. Uh-huh. And you say, I need to adopt a more loving, open, vulnerable position right now. Mm-hmm. That's self-awareness mm. in service to moving through the world in a wiser, more uh, emotionally attuned way. That's mm. fast. That's as fast as I can get it. We'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into Danny specifically because <laughs> you actually open your book, the new book, yes. sort of you with eight. So it actually starts out of order. My mother. Yeah. So we, we do eights, <laughs> then we do nines, then we, we start back at the yep. the one. So we have mm. we have someone from every every persuasion here, <laughs> one through nine. We're gonna we're gonna dive deep on the maximal episode. But getting back to John here for a second, there's been a trauma that has happened. Mm-hmm. Identifying your personality might be a tool yes. to help you uncouple from that identity clutter. Yes. And in fact, we're calling this episode identity clutter because. Quite often, our lives, you know, we're the minimalists. We talk about clutter and decluttering, all this stuff. But really, minimalism is the Trojan horse. It starts with the stuff. But we have all this other clutter in our lives. And that's why I thought it was so important today to talk about identity clutter because the stories we tell ourselves about who we are are one of the most detrimental things. They can be far worse than the excess material possessions in your home. Mm -hmm. And quite often, we start dealing with that excess stuff. We are able to look inside and say, oh, what kind of psychological, spiritual, emotional Mm. clutter is going on in here? Mm. What am I telling myself about who I am? Mm -hmm. So Jonathan's at a point right now where he needs a new story in his life because that old story, even if it did serve him, I would question as to whether or not it did, how empowering it actually was. 
But even now, it's I'm so sorry that you lost right. your wife. That's yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I I get a little teary just thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, and then the whole life changing. But sometimes you have this cascade of events. For me, my mom died. My marriage ended both in the 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 same month, and then my job ended shortly after that. You start reprioritize. You start telling a different story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely do. And actually, crisis is the opportunity to, and actually will force you to rewrite the story. And I think part of what the what I hope the story of you does is it kind of communicates to people, you actually can do it before you hit a crisis. Mm. In fact, you might actually avoid a crisis in your life yeah. if you proactively work on the story you've been telling yourself and others mm. about who you are and how you think the world works. You don't mm. need to get into a car crash in order right. to know you need to wear a seatbelt. You right. could put the seatbelt on right now right. and maybe avoid the actual pain of, of the car. Or you don't need to wait for a car crash to drive more, quote, responsibly, right? Right. Sometimes it takes the recklessness and then the crash in order to change one's behavior if one survives through that. But what you're saying is you don't necessarily have to go through the crash no. in order to change your behavior. No, yeah. but oftentimes you'll start to feel the symptoms, you know, like, like you just feel like uh, not at home in your own world. Mm. It's like the feeling of dis-ease, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the feeling of, or it might be, why have I been married three times? Why have I lost the same job four times? Why, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is, and you start to self-reflect and think, question, interrogate, I love the word, the assumptions, the underlying premise of the story. And, and to be able to exhume the story from the past and say, how can I rewrite that into a, a brighter, better, truer future mm-hmm. right, and present moment. I just, I get so excited. I was with a guy recently and I, uh, I actually asked him to title his story. And he had, you know, given a long, you know, story previously to me about how he grew up, blah, blah, blah. And he said, uh, secondhand boy, because he, he'd grown up in uh. poverty and he had to buy all of his clothes in a consignment shop, but all of his friends had money. Yeah. And he just carried this weight of I'm the secondhand boy. And I said, well, are you still living that story? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, how's it serving you? He goes, I'm tortured. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to stay in that story. And he looked at me like I invented fire. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? He looked at me like, I don't? Because it's like, you mean I'm not a victim of previous circumstances Mm. that I'm stuck with? It's like, no, actually, you can't deny the facts of what happened, mm. but you can rewrite your relationship to it mm-hmm. and begin, like you were saying, I like myself. Well, you know, the alternative story that you could have crafted, mm. right, based on your personal history, holy yeah. smokes, could have been way different. And you yeah. actually did have to have crisis. Yeah, yeah, I did have to have that car crash. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a story I hold on to right now that every time I tell it to myself, I have to interrupt it. And that's the story of um, when everything's going really well. Yes. I'm like, it's about to hit the fan. Yes. And it's going to get, the rug's going to get pulled out from underneath of me because growing up, there was this constant, Mm. you know, Christmas is supposed to be a happy time. Well, mom's getting a DUI. So now Christmas is ruined, so forth and so on. Yeah. So um, I don't know if I've been able to 
stop telling myself that story as much as like recognize when I get that feeling of like, Oh, the rug's going to be ripped off from underneath of me. I can kind of interrupt it and say, Hey, you don't have to feel this way. Yeah. It's probably not going to be ripped off from underneath of you. But, um, but I, but yeah, that's a story that I constantly have to kind of interrupt. So I would call that a taken for granted internalized belief that you would understandably took on board as a little person. Mm. And it is one belief in a larger narrative, right? Mm. Like your narrative is filled with all kinds of negative, uh, self-defining beliefs, mm-hmm. right? And again, to to be aware of it, to compassionately talk to the voice. Like when I get a voice, like I have the same one, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's like, first of all, it's a little trauma-based, mm-hmm. right? Which means that yeah. it's grooved even deeper down, man. Like that thing's yeah. rooted, yeah. right? Yeah, And it's very self-protective. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. I want to be ready in case when the you know what hits the fan because yeah. it always hits the fan, right? right? And it's like to be able to actually even look at that part of you and say, what do you need right now? Mm. How can I help you? Yeah. I know that you're well-intentioned. You're, you're trying to help me right now, but that's an old story. And yeah. I'd like to live in a different story about hope, uh, not naive, because bad stuff could happen on Christmas. Yeah. But guess what? I'll be okay because I was okay the last time. Yeah. I made it out. I like that. And that's a, yeah, that's helpful. I love uh, having my own personal therapy session with, <laughs> with Ian here. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, I'm going to send you two things. One is a copy of the story of you if you want to dive deeper. And by the way, we did a live event with Ian in Dallas. We have a recording of that. It's going to come out soon on our Patreon page for any of the Patreon supporters. But Jonathan, I'm going to send you a, uh, a link to that as soon as it is available because we dive deep into our own personalities, our own trauma, and also a lot of the audience trauma. And what mm. I've found is Sometimes when someone's asking a question about their own trauma, their own identity, it holds up a mirror yes. for each of us. Yes. And so we did a great event with him uh, back in, in Dallas. And so we'll send you a link to that. By the way, we're getting ready to go out on the road again starting next week. It's called the Love People Use Things Tour. 20 cities in total. We have 11 left. We'll be in New York which I think, I think is sold out, but we'll be in Boston and DC and Toronto and Columbus and Minneapolis and Chicago and Vancouver and Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles. I think that's 11, somewhere <laughs> around there. Theminimalists.com slash tour if you want to grab your tickets. Thank you. Alabama, do we have any comments from the Patreon live stream? We'll get to their questions during the Maximal episode. We actually do have a comment in regards to the Dallas show. Brianna says that she saw Ian at the Dallas show and it was a blast. Mm. It was awesome. It I was one like, of my favorite events. Yeah. Um, one I got of mine the, too of the year. It was best. It was that's great. awesome. No, I was going to say, I think that's like the biggest laugh that I've gotten, which might say something about me being a seven and feeling reward when I make people laugh. But uh, but yeah, I, that was like the biggest laugh I think we got was the, during that The biggest stop. part is what reveals the seven, right? <laughs> Did you see where his attention immediately migrated was the biggest laugh. Yeah. The most fun yeah. I had you know what, on you, that show you, was this moment. You know what I like to, you, you were telling me how I'm tightly wound in a different way. Um, can you maybe just give me a brief summary of kind of what you were speaking towards? Well, you actually hinted at it in okay. your, when you were speaking earlier about that sort of trauma voice, mm. right? That is a part of uh, the story. It isn't the big overarching story, but it's a piece of it. Yeah. Uh, I would say um, that you're anxious. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And that anxiety can come out in a very sunny, optimistic way mm. as kind of a cover mm-hmm. for the anxiety yeah. and also a way to release the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a kind of, when a, when a seven is kind of on autopilot, there's a kind of manic-y kind of quality to it, even though mm. you don't have the... You know, but I know what you're talking. I can get there. <laughs> yeah, the, you don't go all Robin Williams, <laughs> right? You know right. what I mean. Yeah. But you, does that make sense? It does. It does yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a great observation. All right, Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to nine three seven two zero two four six five four. Yes, indeed. Now, Ian, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I and our guest we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable. Less than 140 character response. <laughs> we call them minimal maxims. We did this on the live show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And so uh, we call the minimal maxims. Podcast Sean makes them pretty. He puts a, some sort of wrapping paper on them. He throws them in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they'd like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams. She is our resident. Oh, she's a, uh, is she a seven or a two? I don't, I think. Oh, I don't know. I think she's a seven. She I'm going to go like with seven. I could see her being a seven. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, she handles our social media. She's wonderful. Minimalmaxims.com is where you find all of our minimal maxims. Now, Ian, you'll probably remember we usually just maunder on a bit until we get something that's relatively pithy. But Mike has a question for us. How do I get past the story that I'm not good enough and find peace with who I am? Mm. Well, here's something pithy for you, and maybe we can, we can unpack it a bit. Enough is enough when you decide it's enough. I mean, I usually talk about that with respect to stuff because we're always looking for more, more, more. Well, why is that? Because I feel incomplete Mm. in a way. And and consumerism is merely the ideology that buying something is going to make me happy or it's going to make me complete or ideally both. As soon as I'm complete, then of course I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be everything I ever imagined. And it's just one consumer purchase away, Mm. right? But of course, that bleeds over into every other area of life. I'm not enough with respect to my job. I'm not enough with respect to my family. I'm not enough with respect to being a father or a mother. I'm not enough as a son. And that story we tell ourselves is so, well, you'll never be enough if that's the story that I tell myself, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Me or you, baby. You go for it. Well, I mean, (laughs) all right. So what I think what our friend is talking about actually is shame. And uh, shame is something all of us carry to different degrees. Yeah. You definitely don't want to be shameless in this life. That's what, otherwise you'd be pulling your pants down at church all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that shame has a positive thing yeah. to it, right? Yeah. But shame is the sense that, not that, you know, guilt would be uh, I've done something wrong and shame is the sense that I am something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads to those kinds of feelings. Mm-hmm. And guess mm. what? In my own life, you know, been around a little bit i've been around a minute and i've just realized guess what it's part of the human condition it's just you know it's programmed material there's no way out however you can live in a different you can regard those voices differently yeah right you and that's where buddhism has really helped me right the ability to stand back and observe when those voices and feelings start to emerge Mm -hmm. and learn how to be with them yeah until they're ready to let go and to and and really to parent them Mm. Mm. You know, parent. parent. Yeah. yeah you're, parent the, the feelings that you're experiencing. Parent, parent the experience yeah. of what you're experiencing. It reminds me, um, I was talking to this like trauma specialist and uh, I, I asked him like how to deal with a lot of the anxiety and trauma that comes up and he mm. gave me similar advice, but it was really about like, you know, 
when you think about the stuff that happened when you were a kid, like talk to that little kid. Yes. And really what he's saying is, is like parent right. that anxiety. And uh, like, what did that kid need to hear? Right. Yeah. And, and when reflexively our tendency is to beat the kid up and tell him to stop. Yeah. Which only makes the kid louder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It yeah. just, the kid just starts yelling louder and starts, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. they go into fireman mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm. Well, my pithy answer is this. We accept ourselves as soon as our actions align with our values. Mm. So I say this because when your actions align with your values, there's not a lot of shame and guilt involved. And, and I learned this uh, like back when we started the, the, the minimalists. Um, I got clear on what my values were. Mm-hmm. Like here's the things that I know make me tick. Here are the things that uh, make me feel like I'm living a good life. But when I looked at my actions, they were not in alignment with those values. So I think, I think that is the first step. And you said something about the human condition. And I do think that like, there's always, and I, yeah, I don't know, someone might disagree with me, but there's always a little bit of this void that like, we're always kind of searching to be whole, to be complete. And I think we can narrow that void a little bit by our actions aligning with our values. Mm-hmm. But I think it is part of the human condition to always feel like there's a little bit more that we can do. And maybe there is a little bit more we can do, but mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's uh, uh re- there are some, you know, um, mystics who probably transcend that. Mm-hmm. But I think by and large, you know, people will wake up every morning and they'll be like, okay, what can I do today to like be a more whole person? And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like what I like what Ryan's saying here, Ian, because a couple things here with with his pithy answer. So we accept ourselves as soon as our actions align with our values. We have two options here: you can change your actions, or you can also change what you value. Quite often, we're valuing all the things that society has thrust onto us. Oh, I'm mm. supposed to value this. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be this type of person. I'm supposed to be the director of operations at this company. That that way, I am significant, and I will feel the shame that I've created in my own life if I don't achieve what everyone else is telling me I'm supposed to achieve. The problem with that is quite often we achieve those things and then we don't feel the fulfillment. Exactly. We actually feel the opposite, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah. And so uh, Ryan's also bringing up this idea of the void. Talk about another disempowering story. Mm. When you, Ryan and I lived in Montana for five years, you don't go there and say, look at all this void. You say, right. wow, look at all this wide open space. Mm. This isn't a void. This is just wide open space. So, so when you go to a museum, you're not saying, "Oh, this room is such a void." You're like, right. "Wow, this is beautiful. It's stunning." And mm, yeah. it all has to do with the story that we've told ourselves that maybe it's not a void. Maybe it's just wide open space that's open for opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love it. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you can edit this or not, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> After reading your book, I thought multiple times. And maybe you're already going to do it, which just actually validates my brilliance, uh, which is you need to lead retreats on it. Mm. Wow. Like you should go get a beautiful center and invite 100 people to come and lead them through aligning of values and, you know, all these different steps that you have in the book. Mm. And uh, it could be like an amazing boutique experience for people. They have access to you to have time and actually to move them through 
the wow. book, all the exercise, I just think it would slam. Yeah. I'd go, I'd sign I up. In fact, it. I want my free ride right now. Where's my comp? I want my comp. All right. We'll, we'll do it in Nashville. That's right. Yeah, in fact, this is a perfect segue. It's almost mm. like I gave him $5 to, to talk about this. Mm. Uh, for our Right Here, Right Now segment, we talk about one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. We did sort of a it was an online retreat version of this. This was during the, the pandemic. Before we, we could tour, we did uh, this series called Relationship with Less, where we talked about some of the themes of the book. Because what I've identified is that it's rarely about pursuing more. It's rarely about getting more. You're already enough. And that enough is usually uncovered by subtracting. Yes. So we did this five-part series. You can find it over on Patreon right now. All five parts are now published. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. It's called Relationship with Less. we got a bunch more to talk about. But first, Malabam, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Sandra and I'm from Norway. I would like to share a quote that changed my view on minimalism. I've been on this journey for about seven years now. And this month I have been doing my version on the minimalism game where I try to let go of 500 items in total. My boyfriend saw a pair of shoes I was going to sell and said that they were nice shoes. I told him I agreed, but that I did not wear them and that they did not add value to my life anymore. He then said this. Just because something is pretty doesn't mean you have to own it. Hey Ryan and Josh, this is Muriel from Grand Haven, Michigan. I just listened to episode 210 about student debt. I have a tip related to that topic I wanted to share. I'm currently a senior at Grand Valley State University, and I'll be graduating this May with no student debt. I've put in a lot of work in many ways to get to this point, but my number one recommendation for people looking to avoid student debt is to apply for scholarships specific to who you are. For example, I'm studying natural resources management, so I applied to many scholarships related to my field of study. You can find scholarships based on your interests, academic performance, special talents, your major, and many other things. I even got a $1,000 scholarship from my credit union. There are scholarships for everything. You just have to intentionally search out the ones you have the best chance of getting. They may take a long time to apply for, but it's worth the time you put in if they help you stay out of debt. Additionally, check to see if your university has a list of available scholarships. GVSU has a website called My Scholarships where you can create a profile and they suggest scholarships specific to you and you can apply for them directly through the website. You can also search for specific scholarships there. This is what I found to work for me and I hope some of your listeners find this helpful. All right, y'all. Big thanks to our guest, Ian Morgan Cron, for joining us today. He'll be with us this week on the Maximal episode as well. Check out his new book. It's called The Story of You. I'll hold it up uh, for our YouTube viewership. But also, you can check out his wonderful podcast, including the interview that we did with Mm -hmm. him. The the quickest I've ever seen Ryan cry on a podcast. (laughs) Hey, I held back. I choked up. All right, I cried a little bit. It was like 30 seconds in. He was crying. (laughs) Like a little baby, <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baby. Uh, you're so nice, best friend. A baby that was having lots of fun. <laughs> you can fun. check his podcast called Typology. Also, Ian Cron, if you want to follow him on social media, we'll put a link to all of that, including the book, the podcast, everything in the show notes. By the way, Ian, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, like what are 10 signs that you're living in a broken story? What if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or even 60s, and you still don't know who you are? In fact, this one came up quite a bit. Mm. And... 
How do you reinvent yourself and rewrite your story after a traumatic breakup? Plus a million more questions for Ian Cron and The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalists to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ian Morgan Cron, Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Alabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, who is not here today, but she's our other three. We also have Alex and Bex and Mariah here today. They're going to be joining us on The Maximal as well. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it